0: I'd like not to recognize myself there. It's good to see all of you here, and uh, a lot of old friends, and uh, some new faces as well. Yeah, if that tilts, it'd be good. Uh, Fifty years ago this month, this is actually the 50th anniversary of the church. Um, I came to Knoxville, I was 22 years old, and uh, Jean was still working in Jackson, Tennessee. Irene was reminding me this morning that uh, Irene and Joyce, my sister, and I went and looked at a house and bought it before Jean came. She trusts me. I told her how bad it was, and it was just horrible. But it was the best we could do at the time, and she just had to put up with it. And it wasn't real bad, but I created low expectations, and uh, she uh, has been with us through all of this. and In the in the late fall, we bought this land from Mister Elmer Cox, and he financed it all and went ahead and released some land so we could build, and we borrowed. Uh, $35,000 and uh, built this. We had about eight people. Um, my, my district superintendent, W.M. Greer, came up here and, to dedicate the building in uh, September of 64. And we said, right out the parking lot was actually in front. We built half of this to begin with. And he said, What did this cost? Well, that was quite a bit of money in 1964. And I I told him, and he said, uh, how many people you've got? And I said, you know, maybe 30 sometimes. And uh, he grabbed my left arm, and he said, Paul, there is a thin line between faith and ignorance, and you've crossed over. (laughs) And he was absolutely right. It took a while to uh, get things where it... uh, paid for itself, and we I worked uh, 11 years before taking the money from the church, and uh, it was a a good time, and we look back with a lot of great memories. Uh, Irene was, was the first one here, I guess, Irene, where's Irene? Here. Irene, uh, no, she's back there. She uh, was my sister's roommate, Joyce came with us to start the church, and uh, Irene came with her, and. Uh, so there was there was another pretty girl that was the roommate in the suite. They came to church and three pretty girls got three fairly good looking guys to come and we had a campus ministry pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, my mom and dad moved here in 65. We started a daycare center here uh, pretty quickly and uh, uh, mother paid for the church two or three times with that daycare center. We had a great Daycare center, I still meet people at Whitestone who came uh, to uh, the daycare center here. And uh, then in 1971, we bought a house on campus, University of Tennessee, called the Sycamore Tree. We named it that a good place to see Jesus. A lot of you came in during that period of time. And um, Ulan was one of those, and Joan Peterson here today, and Donna, and a bunch of other folks uh, through that period of time, Joe and Margaret, Valerie, and uh, so forth. So it's it's been a it's been a good good time. And when Phil called and asked me to speak, I thought, what would be appropriate, and uh, I hope I've done something that is today. What what was what was the key to this? We wound up with two services and uh, three or four hundred people. We couldn't let the kids come in, and we had pews and we had chairs and um, we went a long time with a lot of people here and bought uh, in the early eighties a um, church on campus and sent a couple of hundred people down to Sixteenth and Highland. But uh, why did people come, and what do people remember? And we had a reunion of all those folks a few years ago, and it was interesting to hear what people thought was the success of the church. And so my text is what I think is not only the success that we had, but it will be the success that you will have if you follow uh, Jesus' commandment. If you had a red-letter edition... John fifteen twelve through 14 would be in red letters because Jesus is saying this. And I think it's incredibly important. I, I want to point out, and I won't take a long time today, but I want to point out uh, the the reason I think um, Christ's chapel, I, I've named the church three times, and Phil's named it one, and I just look forward to seeing what it'll be next year. <laughs> um, but change with the times. Um, but uh, I I think of it more often than anything else it's Christ Chapel and uh, I think this was the success of Christ Chapel I think this will be the success of Life Church Uh, listen from the Amplified Bible uh, John the 15th chapter verses 12 through 14 Jesus has washed the disciples feet there uh, he's ended chapter 12 by saying arise and let us go from here They've left the upper room. They're walking down out of the old city of Jerusalem across the brook Kidron, the Kidron Valley, back up to the mountain on the other side, the Mount of Olives where Gethsemane was. And Jesus is talking to them about vine and branches and he's leaving and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things going on here. And uh, and I've always thought this was... Uh, the most important discourse that Jesus gave because it was his last words to the disciples before he was arrested, tried, and crucified. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing the things that I command you to do. So Jesus commands us to love one another. And I think that characterized this this church. It still does. Uh, I'm not as closely connected, obviously. But we looked after each other. We ate together. We moved one another. Uh, And I would like to tell you that we were just so fortunate that it was a nice collection of extraordinary people who were all incredibly adorable. Uh, And we just were such special folks. That's not the case. It's never the case in a church. Uh, We we would like to think that uh, God loves us because we're really, really nice. But he says, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But I've chosen the weak things, the foolish things, to confound the wisdom of the world. And so we had a collection of people. Those of us who are left here were the lovable ones. Some of those who are not here today were really weird. Um, (laughs) There there really was a lot of weirdness. Uh, The the sycamore tree sort of collected weird people. I got a call one night about 2 o'clock. Some fellow over there, had uh, Gary, had... uh, had done a lot of LSD in the height of the Jesus movement. He had sort of given his heart to God, but he wasn't healed of everything yet. And Whatever he had done, he was in the backyard with an axe trying to cut his hand off. And uh, they had to stop him and call me to come help him. Uh, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble were called. The love was was not just happening because we were nice. I remember a lady, uh, Sister Webb, uh, in my home church in Jackson, Tennessee, and she would say, we had testimony services where you could stand up if the pastor didn't have a great sermon. He'd say, let's have a testimony service tonight. (laughs) And uh, we had them often. And uh, (laughs) that was Brother Greer, and that's not really true, but uh, it's funny. So... Uh, say, who would like to testify? And uh, she was the second one. She was usually asleep and she didn't wake up until it, we were into it a little bit, but she was usually the second one to stand on the second row on the left from the pulpit. And uh, Sister Mandy Webb, and she would say the same thing every time I don't know what the Lord saw in me to choose me, but I'm glad He did. I thank the Lord for all he's done for me and pray for me that I can go all the way with him. Amen. I said the same thing every time. And uh, she also said amen uh, intermittently through the service when she woke up. Uh, it, was, it was not necessarily appropriate, but um, she amen things that uh, shouldn't have been amen. <laughs> Looking back on that today, what I wish I could have said to... Sister Webb was, it's not you, it's him. You see, if you can command somebody to love, first of all, it may mean it's not natural. Uh, Just uh, could be that it's not the normal flow of things to love somebody. But Jesus says here, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love had no man than this. He laid down his life for a friend. So it's a commandment. If it's a commandment, it means you can do it. But it doesn't mean that you're going to just easily do it. We would like the Lord to love us because we're special. We'd like him to love us because we're uh, adorable. Uh, I understand, Lord, why you pick me. The rest of these folks are suspect. It's kind of what... Uh, Peter says in the upper room when Jesus says, One of you is going to betray me. Peter says, Lord, they are all suspect. I think they might, but I want you to know I never will. And, uh, and the disciples weren't particularly a nice group. I'm not sure we would have liked them. Uh, there's a tax collector in there I know I would not have liked. Uh, Matthew. Uh, Peter is, is brash, harsh at times, judgmental, aggressive. James and John were pretty selfish. They wanted to be more important than anybody else first in the kingdom. I could go through the list. But the disciples were picked, maybe not because of who they were, but of who Jesus was. I want to be loved because of all the qualities I have. I want you to be able to tell me why you love me. Uh, If a boy and a girl are out Uh, At Whitestone in the gazebo, and there's a full moon coming up over the lake. And all the night animals are making sounds around, and it's just wonderful and peaceful. And he says to her, I love you. And she says, I love you, too. There's silence, and she says, tell me why you love me. And he says, I've been thinking about that. I think it's just the kind of guy I am. Yuck. Uh, that's That was not the goal there. I, you know, I'm just a really nice person. I love everybody, and I just, I just, you just happen to be here, and so I, I want you to know I love you too. Uh, but if we could say to the Lord, Lord, what did you see in us to choose us? I think he would have to say, it's just the kind of God I am. It's who I am. Co- because love is not a characteristic of God. It's his character. It's, Who he is. God is love. And the greatest confusion today is about the nature of God's love for you because Satan will come and say, as the old song, you sin, no use to pray, but I look away to Jesus and he tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. It's waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. What Satan comes and says when we have shortcomings, let's call them that, to be nice, you've eaten too much banana pudding, uh, or whatever, and Satan comes and says, "You've sinned, and I bet you God's disappointed in you." He's uh, Satan's favorite disguise is to guise him, disguise himself as your conscience, come as an angel of light, and tell you that uh, you don't have any hope with God because He's not really going to put up with you any longer. Uh, I've, you've heard me say perhaps. I think I heard God audibly one time in my life when I was praying and I was saying, God, I know I've disappointed you. And I think he laughed because if he's God, he can't be surprised by what you do. He knew when he started with you where you'd be today. Whatever log you've fallen off of, he anticipated that and he'll set you right and go on. But but we feel like we, we must be perfect and nice for God to love us, and Satan exacerbates those fears, and uh, he does his best to keep us from faith in a relationship with a good God who doesn't keep track of our faults. And so love doesn't do that. I think that's what we did as a church. We, we love people because of who we were, and we were that because we had a relationship with God. We were new creatures in Christ Jesus. And and so you don't love because it's just a natural attraction between attractive people. You love because of what God has done for you. You forgive people because you've been forgiven. Uh, It's not because you just can do it naturally. In fact, I don't think you can do agape love apart from an encounter with Christ. That's God's love. The Greek has four words for love. C.S. Lewis does a great job of that in his little book, The Four Loves. Storgi is a word we would translate love, which means I just love my dog. Uh, I just love cornflakes. I I just love the Beatles. Uh, I love Elvis. Uh, (laughs) You you love something. Uh, I always think of Storgi. C.S. Lewis used cigars as I just love cigars when he was talking about that. So, storge is liking something. It's a word for love. Filio is a word for love. It's a word for loving friends and family, uh, people that you're naturally connected to in some way or that you're drawn to in some way. Uh, It's natural for us to love each other as friends. Uh, Eros, we understand, is the sexual attraction. But agape... Is completely different from all of that. And it's not feelings. I got to Nashville to do a wedding uh, for a friend. And uh, I had not been to the rehearsal the night before. It was a big wedding, 500 people coming. And they met with me an hour beforehand to go over the ceremony. And he said, we want to change one thing. We want to say, as long as we both shall love. And uh, Rhoda had had a TV show that y'all are too young to remember, and she had said, as long as we both shall love. And I said, tell me your definition of love. And he said, well, if we were to fall out of love, you wouldn't want us to stay together. And I said, so you're talking about emotions and feelings. And he said, right. And I said, then I'm not doing this wedding. And it's about 40 minutes before time to go out at that point. And uh, I did not change the, the words and. And they were okay. They were Christians. They just had thought that was, he thought that was cute. Uh, anyway, but, but to love with agape, it's, a, it's an action verb in the present tense that says, this is what I'm going to do. Loving is doing something. Jesus was asked by people that were sort of trying to trick him one day, uh, what must we do to have eternal life? Luke 10. What have we got to do to have eternal life? And he said, you need to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And with the test still going on, the folks that asked said, so who's our neighbor? Uh, now, if your neighbor is next door, you may him pull that off. Does it go three doors down or is it the whole street? Who is my neighbor that I can love and have eternal life? And eternal life is the question here. And Jesus told a parable of uh, a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he uh, had robbers come out, attack him, rob him, beat him, and leave him for dead in a ditch. A Levite came by, and a a Pharisee came by, a priest, and uh, they both uh, ignored him. They went to the other side of the road. A Samaritan came by who was a half-breed that a Jew wouldn't have spoken to under normal circumstances. And the Samaritan heard the man in the ditch, went over, got him on his donkey or mount or whatever he had. He took him to an inn, and uh, he uh, bathed his wounds and got him comfortable, and then he told the innkeeper, "Uh, here's money, you take care of him until he's okay. Okay. And when I come back, if anything else is needed, he apparently was a regular at the end in Jesus' story. I'll pay you whatever else is left. That's who your neighbor is. So your neighbor is a guy in the ditch that you don't know that was stupid enough to go on the road without protection. If we helped him, he'd probably do it again. Just uh, not many wise, mighty, or noble are called. Your neighbor is anybody who needs help. I don't think the good Samaritan in Jesus' story, he doesn't say, and he was just a really good-looking man before he was beat up, or uh, he knew him, he recognized him. He didn't know him. He wasn't attractive in that condition. He didn't have a great personality that was being displayed, and he helped him anyway. And so loving people, a commandment to love people is a commandment to do things for people whether or not you're related in Storgi, eros, philio, it's agape. I'm not going to take the time to read you the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit start with love, joy, peace. If you looked at 1 Corinthians 13, it's also a list that uh, Paul is writing about the attributes of love. And it's patience, kindness, goodness, not keeping track of evil done to it, if you want to know what love is, read what you should have as the fruit of the Spirit if you're going to love what love does in First Corinthians 13. And the list is almost the same. Uh, what love is is the attributes that are uh, the same qualities as the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit you can have by God's just grace of giving them to you. But the fruit is something that you need to let God prune, grow, and develop And uh, over time, you get to where you love other people. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So, even with Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, he wasn't saying, there's a good one. He was saying, there's a sinner. He died. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So, God's love for us is not feelings based on your performance, but it's a commitment of His will expressed in a covenant. That's a blood covenant between the Father and the Son. He is committed to loving you. He doesn't give up on you easily. He's not discouraged when you've done something wrong. The new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33 is He'll write His laws in our hearts. Got that. And He will remember our sins no more. And I think what a church should be, whatever the name of it is, uh, but if it's life church especially, it should bring life. And life comes from loving. That's the key to having life is to love. In fact, Scripture is clear. If you don't look after other people, uh, you're in trouble with the Lord. Inasmuch as you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. I was hungry, thirsty, naked in prison, sick, you took care of me. If you didn't do that, you're separated for eternity. It makes it a condition of eternity, and it makes it a condition of uh, rewards in heaven, how you treat other people. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan answers the question of how we should love, how we should treat people. When people are nice to you at Life Church, it doesn't mean they like you. It means they love you. You see the difference? There, there are people that it's just if you went to pick somebody to go on a vacation with, you might not go with them. But you got you got to love them, and it's not hard to do because Christ loved you while you were still a sinner. Uh, God's God's love for us was not because we were lovable. He's making us into what He wants us to be, and so the, the commandment to love is an action verb of how you should live your life. Loving one another is something you do. It's not something you feel. If you could feel it, there's no commandment necessary to do it. If you want eternal life and if you want rewards in heaven, then love one another. The ultimate view of love is Christ on the cross because he says in this passage, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. You've heard me talk about it. my, my uh, oldest son was killed in a hunting accident in 92 at Christmas. And I was two weeks later driving in past Callahan Road praying and saying, Now, Lord, i got another son left, and I want to learn everything you can tell me about what I'm supposed to learn from this because we can't do this again. <clears throat> and I was overwhelmed as I drove down the interstate with the love of God because what I got to thinking about is I, I'm missing Brian. Uh, how much I loved him. I would have never sacrificed Brian for all of you. I, I might die for you. I, I love you. Some of you I, I even like. Uh, as <laughs> far as I know, I like you all. But I might die. If, if they stood all of you all up on this side and me over here and said, we're going to kill all of them, we're going to kill you, I think I'm the kind of fella that would say, kill me. I've lived my life and, and take me. Uh, I always think about those uh, World War II movies where there's four buddies in a foxhole, and uh, they're talking about surviving, pledging their attention to the families of one another if they should die, and suddenly a German hand grenade rolls in the foxhole, and one of those guys says, I love you guys, and throws himself on the, on the hand grenade and saves the other three. I'd like to think I'm that kind of fella. Unfortunately, I would be the biggest one in the foxhole, and they would throw me on it before I got a chance to volunteer. (laughs) Paul can protect us. Uh, But I, I was thinking about loving Brian, and I was thinking, but I would have never sacrificed him. And what God was trying to do is tell us how much he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave even more than himself. I might die for you, but I wouldn't let Brian die for you. God let his son go to the cross, his only begotten son, whom he loved, and suffer and be humiliated and bleed and die, so he could send one message to us, and that is, I love you. And now he says in this passage, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you keep on doing what I command you. And he's asking us to lay down our life for other people, you know. Are you going to always like it? Uh, No. But what I tried to model as a pastor is it didn't make any difference whether it's folks I wanted to spend a lot of time with or not. I wanted to do love. So love is not something you feel. It's something you do. And if this church in the future loves well, uh, I'm going to tell you it's an attractive thing because Jesus said if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And what you lift up is the love he had for us because people want to be loved. They're searching for love. Uh, you know, they they may like the music. They may not like the music. You may have a great children's program and you may not have a great children's program. The preacher may be good or bad. But if you love people, I can I can tell you about one of the largest churches I know where I don't think they do hardly anything right. I was talking to a pastor that was at White Zone the other day, and we were talking about this fellow. And um, I said, well, you know, he's not a great preacher, and, and there's just a number of things there that I would change, but it's a great church. And uh, he said, we should do a documentary, show it in seminary, and say, if he can do it, anybody can do it. But, <laughs> but what he does is he loves people. He loves people. Well, I've been with him when he saw his folks, and he genuinely loves the folks that come to that church, And people have followed his example in loving one another. Forgive one another. I think the disciples were trying to be super spiritual one day. And uh, Peter says, Lord, how many times should we forgive somebody? Seven times. Sounds, I mean, in a day. That's kind of once every hour and a half, you know. And Jesus said 70 times seven in a day. Uh, that's you divide that out into minutes, and they 're offending you pretty regularly at that point, you know, but what Jesus is trying to say is there's no limit to forgiveness, and forgiveness we, we all need it we 're all sort of full of it you, you know that i 've got a sermon about that that nobody will let me preach but, <laughs> but we're we're all just a mess uh we're we're not great folks. If we hadn't done wrong, we've thought about doing wrong, and we sure understand it. But but to love one another, to forgive one another. Uh, Paul said, put up with each other's troublesome little faults. Uh, I don't want to do that. I would rather you didn't have faults. And if you've done something wrong, I'm going to talk to you about it and see if you'll uh, not do it again, you know? It's what I had in mind, not 70 times, 490 times. That was just sort of like 10 to the 100th power, you know. It's what Jesus was saying. But, but forgiveness we all need because we, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God has forgiven us. And we ought to forgive others. And it's that, forgi- it's, it's that tolerance of one another that's uh, hard to come by in the world. By. A lot of judgmentalness. Uh, A lot of criticism, a lot of condemnation. And churches get into that where they feel they're better than other churches and they judge others that come to our church because we're better. I think that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's not against Christ, but it's replacing Christ with a church. So love is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 13. Agape love is not our nature. Uh, I read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings that I do at Whitestone. And I want to say to the couple, I don't know whether this is what you've got in mind or not. Love is not jealous, it is always kind, it is not touchy or easily angered. It keeps no track of evil done to it. Well, that's hard, you know. I have a friend who said to his wife, uh, true story, he said, Hun, there's a couple of things you do after 20 years of marriage that I wish you wouldn't do. And I'm not happy with you, uh, except I think we can improve this marriage. Could we go out? They they went to the Regas restaurant when it was still in business. Could we go to the Regas tomorrow night and just discuss our marriage? If you got anything that you'd like to talk to me about, it'd be a good time to do it. It's right there. We're going to be with a lot of other people. We can't yell at each other. And so let's go out, have a nice dinner, and fine tune this marriage. Is that okay with you? She said, sure. And uh, so they went. And uh, he said, uh, Who you want to go first? She said, You can go first. And I, it was, he was at the level of, Please put the toothpaste cap back on. And, uh, you know, when <laughs> he just had some things he wanted her to change. And she agreed. She said, uh, Of the three or four things he had on his list, I'll do that. And he said, Now, honey, if there's anything you want me to do, uh, this is a great time to talk about it. He said, She reached in her purse and pulled out three typewritten pages. <laughs> he said, I would to God I'd never open my mouth. And, and uh, but but that's where we, we put up with one another. And, and putting up is necessary. But this, if you want to have a real church, this is how you do it. John, Jesus has just said in John 13, verses 34 and 5, 34-35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And that love is not feelings, it's not emotions, it's action. It's what you do to look after other people. Don't just storge them or eros them or filio them, but agape them if we could get to the Greek word, do things to show love. Keep loving God. Keep being filled with the Spirit and loving one another because He first loved us, because He gave Himself for us. Then we're to give ourselves loving and serving one another. So Jesus commands it. It's something you can do if you're connected with Him. If you got love from Him, you can give love to other people. Love is is action. Don't tell it only. uh, In fact, it says don't just love in word and uh, with your mouth, but love in deed as well. And so life church, your past is we loved each other real well in this church. We looked after one another. We didn't judge a lot. We didn't have a lot of petty little doctrinal things that we tried to pick at one another and uh, be superior in some kind of way. We cared for one another. Your future is that. You lift up Christ by loving one another, by putting up with each other, by saying they're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And uh, you know this list of who you're supposed to look after. When Jesus comes back and he's talking to him and saying, "Uh, I was sick and uh, I was hungry. I was naked. I was in prison. That's not a group I won't even mess with. And yet that's who we're, if we don't do that, and he says, if you do do that, it's, you're doing it unto me. 1 John 3.14, one of my favorite scriptures, says, by this you'll know you've passed from life to death, that you love one another. And so uh, let, me, let me close with Paul's writing to the Ephesians church, and this is certainly what this church ought to be. Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him, follow him. Follow his example as well-beloved children imitate their father and walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. Be imitators of Christ. Love one another. Look after each other. Put up with each other. Forgive one another. Put love in action. uh, The church will grow. But that's lifting Christ up. That's what this church has been when it was at its best. That's what you'll be when you're at your best in the future. That's my prayer for you. Could I lead us in a prayer? (coughs) Almighty God, we come to you today on behalf of this congregation as they make a move into a future that's not where they've been before. I pray for them that they will learn to love, be imitators of you in an ever-increasing way. Lord, just let there be a spirit of harmony, peace, understanding and kindness, graciousness, that unmerited favor that's characteristic of you. Let us be more like you and fill us with your spirit so that we can have what we need, that fruit of the spirit, to do for others what you've done for us. We thank you for this building, for all that's gone on in the past. We ask that you bless this move with your presence and your peace. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.